Good evening and welcome to the Big Footy Podcast. This week we talk all things GWS with Griff. And we talk a lot of stuff about Geelong with SJ. We'll cover some footy fantasy and we're running understaffed as Chief is under siege by a plethora of small children. Messenger is spending some time in a Tibetan monastery praying like mad that the Hawks can finally overcome Geelong. All this and more coming right up. Good to be back for another week, even if everyone else has decided to go on holidays or pray to whoever or look after kids or whatever the hell they're doing this week. With me tonight, though, I have my good friend and long-time compatriot, the old Dark Navies. Hey, Wookie. Look, it's good to have some new blood on and not have Messenger here for a change. And quite frankly, they're better looking, I think, uh, from what I can see, which isn't much given this is done over Skype and on audio only. But... I can only assume they're better looking. And the new guys that are here tonight, SJ from the Geelong uh, Forum. G'day all. Uh, yeah, just Messenger uh, obviously shot through the, the minute the first Geelong uh, supporter came on board, but that's okay. Big game this Saturday night. I think it might be fear. Fear is what we're smelling. Well, and, uh, <laughs> it might be something else too, just throwing in there for good measure. <laughs> it, 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 I'm not really surprised, to be honest. Um, it, it, it's very easy to take pot shots at like Melbourne and the Bulldogs and those lesser teams that are struggling at the moment. But when it comes up against a team of genuine class like Geelong, um, weak. nowhere weak. to be Fr- seen, Messenger. Fr- nowhere front, to be seen. Front runner extraordinary, Messenger. <laughs> Have a good look at yourself, mate. Flat track bully, I think is the term oh, we're looking for. That's it. And uh, joining us as well uh, to talk all things Greater Western Sydney in a moment, uh, we have Griff. How are you, Wookie? And uh, we're supposed to have Scully to fly out, um, but uh, he's not. Uh, he's not here. And, yeah, uh, I think he's still getting over playing the uh, ten-man defence in the second quarter last week. So uh, <laughs> give it time, and he'll get back up. But uh, yeah. So, I guess we're going to head straight into uh, tonight's discussion, and uh, we're going to look at uh, your highlights from the weekend, as we do every week. And Odian, what was your highlight from the weekend? Uh, bit of a bizarre one. Um... It certainly wasn't uh, wasn't the, uh, the the swimming carnival at uh, up in Sydney on Friday night. Um, <laughs> it was uh, the uh, the West Coast Eagles crowd um, uh, booing or booings or whatever people say they were doing. Uh, Joe Watson, not because Joe Watson's a bad bloke, but just just it's an indication of what we're in for. I think the message is being sent loud and clear to the AFL. Uh, just what to expect if they try to sweep this whole fiasco under the carpet. And, uh, and and to hear some of the commentators, you know, your Darcy's and your Richo's being absolutely sycophantic about the, about the whole thing, um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite amusing. Yep. And SJ, what was your uh, favourite moment from the weekend? Uh, it would have to be uh, the game of Alan Christensen down there at Simmons Stadium. Uh, a bit of a breakout game for Bundy. He had 36 touches uh, against Fremantle, uh, 17 contested possessions, seven clearances, and this kid—he still hasn't played his 50th game yet, and that's this week against Hawthorne. But he's got uh, the inside hardness and the outside skills to uh, to go the whole way, I reckon. Yep. And uh, what about you, Griff? What was your uh, favourite moment from the weekend? 
Well, everybody loves an underdog, and uh, Port Adelaide's complete and utter dismantling of Collingwood uh, can't go unnoticed. Any time the Pies lose is always a happy day for 17 fans of AFL, uh, yeah, of all yeah. the clubs. No, no, and, no uh, question here. And, and, uh, yeah, and Ollie Wine's game of uh, 26 possessions in basically three quarters of footy and a goal is uh, pretty hard to go past. So that was definitely it for me this week. Excellent. My, my favourite moment of the weekend, Dylan McLaughlin's uh, press conference this morning. Uh, basically came on, the AFL guys said, look, we're taking two questions and two questions only, that's it. It was almost a waste of everybody's time and basically McLaughlin came out and said, it'll all be over. The ASADA investigation will all be over in August, apparently. <laughs> so we've got another two months of this. Just before uh, the finals. Another this two months worth of shenanigans uh, to get on with, but then apparently it will be all over. And if you like some people, you believe it's all over for the Bombers for a while. But uh, that's by the by. Well, there's a big, big sound from the west of the town. It's the sound of the mighty giants. You feel the ground is shaking. The other teams are quaking in their boots before the giants. We take the longest strides and the highest leap. That is, of course, the theme tune for the Greater Western Sydney Giants, not one that they will have uh, had the opportunity to sing a lot this year, Griff. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten what it sounded like, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not sure they know what it sounds like, uh, to be honest. But h- how are you seeing uh, the, uh, the the GWS uh, season so far? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's progressing. It's uh, almost done. Look, it, it's been it's been a long season, and it, and it was always going to be a difficult season without the mature age talent, and that comes down to sort of the trade period. And uh, GWS can say that other people didn't trade with them, but at the same time, their expectations were probably a little bit too high. But uh, when you get key injuries to players like Chad Corns, Dean Brogan, granted might be over the hill, but they still play a team role, and uh, and then you had. John Patton go down and destroy the forward line structure and Phil Davis go out with a back, destroying the back line structure. It pretty much uh, devastated the spine and all of a sudden you've got kids trying to play roles that, you know, grown men need to be playing. So um, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a struggle. It's very difficult to watch, uh, especially with Sheedy uh, consistently playing players out of position to teach them the game. Uh, but I don't think anybody is overly surprised i mean the season's pretty much matching what the gold coast suns were doing last year i think last year after round 14 the gold coast suns were winless and had a 50 percentage odd points to their name and then they managed to turn around and i think i think it was six wins towards the back end of the season so there's still hope but uh yeah okay guys i'll open it up for questions from the floor um you guys got anything I, I, I just want to raise something quite amusing that I saw uh, as, a, as, a, as an aside. Um, John Ralph came out on Twitter and said that he could kick better than uh, Toby Green. Um, and it was a Carlton supporter um, who responded back on Twitter, yeah, but he could probably write better articles than you. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to see, uh, it's good to see uh, the Junos copying some back. Um, I've just, just going back to what you were saying about... Um, uh, the criticisms of teams not wanting to trade with GWS. 
shady, shady. I think, I think he used he used the word gutless or cowards or something like that. He he uh, he, he was uh, he was fairly um, outspoken about it. Um, he, he does love his adjectives. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's just the, the teams that he, uh, some of the teams that have been brought up as far as trades at GWS, they're, they're considering themselves to be in some sort of a window. Very, very hard to give up established stars for a high draft pick that might actually just mess up that balance of that window and you sort of get caught in between um, your developing players and your, and your, um, and your established players. So it, it was probably a little bit, I don't know. It was probably a bit another shady media beat up in my mind, but how do you see it? Uh, It's it's one of those situations where, whenever you come to a draft table, you think that you've always got the best hand, and basically somebody had to cave and somebody had to take you know eighty five cents to the dollar. GWS didn't want to do that because they knew. At worst, they stocked their cabinet with the best young talent and then traded in three years to get the better players in the system. Uh, Sheedy definitely loves to uh, play the underdog. He always has. Even when he was a premiership coach, he probably came out on the Monday and said, and now we're not going to be favourites for next year. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely a beat-up element to it. Um, I think what the Giants needed to do, and maybe they'll learn a bit more this year, is they really need to target those teams that are trying to hold their premiership window open. Um, There'll be certain players around at different clubs who uh, probably either aren't quite happy with the club or uh, feel like they are young enough to see a premiership window somewhere else. And I think they're the sort of players that... uh, the Giants need to trade for. So, I mean, with Matthew White at the Crows, I think would be very appealing. I mean, they've got no draft picks this year, so if they could snag number one somehow, I think they'd be very keen to come to the table, uh, especially with their season slipping away. I think um, some of the rebuild clubs may be wanting to come to the table, uh, maybe St Kilda or the Western Bulldogs. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely about targeting the right club because, I mean, last year Trent Cotchin's name was thrown about and if anybody thought that Trent Cotchin was going to be getting away from Richmond uh, I think they were higher than Ben Cousins in his heyday could agree with that Um, Buddy Franklin's obviously a target for you guys Um, on Bitcoin possibly an AFL ambassadorship uh, coming Mm -hmm. his way Um, but you've got Cameron you've got you've got Patton Seem desperate to offload the number one draft pick because that's likely to be a tall fort as well, and you don't mm-hmm. you probably don't want to go and spend that number one draft pick on a player that is the second best in the in the uh, in the juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, are, you, are you happy to be chasing Franklin on the sort of coin that's been talked about? Uh, personally, no. Um, I think we could get a developed forward who could do let's face it nobody's going to do as good a job as Franklin as far as his way to see the ball, win the ball and kick the goal he is the best forward in the league Um, it's arguable uh, from fan to fan but uh, for argument's sake he's one of the only players left in the comp who's uh, kicked 100 goals Um, and he can turn games but the Giants are lacking a key position backman, 
a contested ball winning mid who can break the lines and get the ball forward and their their forward line if anything needs somebody with very solid defensive pressure I prefer them chasing somebody like a Jack Darling or a um, Jack Rewalt to be honest uh, who they could probably secure less coin um, and then they can sort of spend the extra on rebuilding the spine the uh, obvious problem with that is that the Giants aren't quite sure whether they want a face of the game in Sydney marketer or a winning team. Obviously, they want both, but the money at the moment seems to be going to the marketplace, which uh, amongst some of the GWS fans isn't exactly um, supported, might be the word. Okay. <clears throat> look, what some of us are... Uh... Uh, look, on Leon Cameron, uh, not Leon. Jeremy Cameron is apparently supposed to return this weekend. Is that is that likely? Yeah, he had a he was out with a virus last week, um, a late withdrawal, and Santanta O'Halpin came in for his fifth game. But he uh, all all um, all signs out of Giants HQ is saying that he will be back this week uh, to play against the Bulldogs down here in Monica. Uh, Odian and I are both Carlton supporters, and. Uh, mm-hmm. We're, we're, so we're obviously interested in uh, in how Satanta has been going. Satanta was one of my favourite players before we drafted him. How, how, how he, he, had, he had massive reps from me from kicking cloak in the balls. That was, uh, <laughs> that was... <laughs> yeah, oh, he had massive reps from a lot of us, even at Carlton. But uh, how, how is how is he travelling down there? Is it like is he just not good enough to get games, or has he been behind like Patton and, and it's Cameron, an interesting or... one. You see, he he's. Already the second highest goal scorer for GWS after five games, uh, with 11 this season. Um, I think it's as much as anything them just trying to blood uh, the young players as much as possible. He he did have um, soreness and setbacks after the injury last year, um, yeah. but he's, he should have played enough games now in the reserve team to be able to crack into a senior spot. So. Um, I mean, we could talk for quite a long time about the mysteries and conundrums of some of the GWS selection tables. Anthony Miles comes to mind. Uh, Christian Jacks is set for a debut. Um, even Brett Thornton has kicked... Uh, he had a game not too long ago where he kicked 12 goals and then he came in and they played him in the back line for three quarters. So, um, since he's going well, he's definitely loved around the club by the players but I'm not entirely sure that the coaching staff know exactly how they want to use him. Okay, and, and you, you mentioned Brett Thornton. Obviously, he's ex-Carlton as well. How's, mm-hmm. how's he um, how, how's he travelling? I mean, you said he kicked 12 goals in the reserves? Yeah, that might have been 10. It was it was definitely double digits. That well, either was, way. That was, <laughs> that was um, about two months ago. Now, just last week, uh, GWS Giants reserve team, the UWS Giants, had a massive win against uh, Queanbeyan, the Queanbeyan Tigers in the NEFL, and uh, I believe Thornton kicked four goals in that one as well. So, in the reserve team, he's playing as a forward, um, sort of off the half-forward flank, much like he did in his final few days at Carlton, but when he comes into the team, he's been put in the back line. So, if anybody out there could explain that one to me, that would be fantastic. So there's some mysteries at the selection table at the yeah. GWS. Yeah. I think I think as much as anything, it's because they're wanting to play kids in positions where they will learn as much as possible. And Thornton in the back line is a lot 
easier for the Giants to manipulate for game plan than it is to stick him at full forward and then have players like Nick Haynes and um, God, who else we got in the forward line is left? Uh, <laughs> and uh, the other young boys down the front. You mentioned... Um, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, Griffith, it seems to be, to, to me, a little bit of a, a little bit con- confusion from the outside just in terms of what, what GWS's goals are in these first few years, as in um, you, you sort of say that it seems the coaching staff have this um, teach the kids the game policy or you know, develop them by playing in different positions, which is which is fine in itself. But then on the yep. other hand, they, they want to spend, you know, $1.5 million a year to, to lure sort of a name up there to, I, I guess, to drag people through the gates. Now, if you really want to drag people through the gates, surely the most competitive performance is, um, is what will do it. So is there a little bit of a contrast there or something that's not quite right between actually trying to be competitive and, and getting supporters on board or, uh, or teaching the kids the ropes in different positions and sort of thinking long-term? And how do you see that playing out in the next sort of 12, 24 months? Well, it's definitely a unique situation. I mean, you've got... I think every club in the AFLs, their recruitment and their list management alarm bells went ringing after the, GW, uh, after the Gold Coast entrance. Uh, clubs lost Gary Ablett, they lost Brennan, they lost Riscatelli... Uh, Harbrow, Bock, there was basically an exodus to, G- uh, to the Suns. Um, and because of that, there seems to be this uh, hesitancy towards doing any deals at all with GWS, especially when they had such good draft concessions to not only combat the pre-existing clubs, but also to counter the Gold Coast position. Now, uh, as a fan, I would absolutely love if our best players are on the park every week in the positions they were supposed to be playing. Toby Green off the half-back line with his kicking efficiency boggles the mind. Um, but the kids have to learn. And Toby Green, um, I've met the bloke. He's a great young kid. Uh, but you can tell he has been at the top of his tree for a very long time as a junior. Mm. And it doesn't, it doesn't do him harm to learn what it takes to defensively shut somebody down. Because at some point in 2017, when we're in a preliminary final and he's up against Jack Stevens in St Kilda, who's tearing us apart, somebody's going to have to go on him and shut him down. And if he's never learned a defensive game, it's not going to happen. Now, the the other piece of the puzzle, of course, is that Leon Cameron comes in next year as coach. And I don't know exactly where the quote is, but I'm pretty sure I've heard Sheedy say that at the moment, the coaching is about 60%, 40% share between the two of them changing during the match. Yeah, he said that right. pre- pre-game a couple of weeks ago. Well, yeah, so it, it leads to an interesting situation because not only are the kids learning the game, and Leon Cameron has, has a great history as an assistant coach and obviously there's great excitement about the club for him to become head coach but if there's any coach that you would pair to you know mentor an incumbent incumbent coach um Sheedy and Leon Cameron second quarter this week putting 10 players behind the ball uh I think that might have taught Leon Cameron as much as it taught the GWS Giants players so what I'm hoping is that next year all the uh, positional 
mucking about and the accountability and the lessons learnt go out the window. Uh, you get Adam Trelaw, Coniglio, um, Dylan Shield all playing in the guts, rotating with Warden Scully. You've got Green uh, running on the wing or half-forward flank where his disposal can be hidden just a little bit better. Um, and you've got players like Nick Haynes playing forward instead of back. Uh, if he's still at the club, I believe he's actually unsigned at the end of this year. So if we end up talking number one draft pick packages, we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, hopefully I can I see at the end of this year that there will be a massive, massive mental shift in where the players are, where they're playing. And you're absolutely right in saying that wins will probably draw more people through the door than one big name. Okay. Um, yeah. Just uh, getting off the field for a moment, um, the, uh, the Giants released a report today um, that says, amongst other things, that uh, the Giants' first three matches in Canberra attracted almost 4,000 interstate visitors and contributed almost a million dollars to the ACT economy. Um, mm -hmm. And on top of that, there's apparently an announcement that um, Manuka is getting upgraded to a 19,000-seat stadium for the World Cup, um, which will obviously benefit the Giants. How, how is Canberra working out for you guys? Uh, it's, it's difficult. It, uh, the biggest problem with the ACT government deal with the Giants is that for two months of the year, the Giants aren't playing in Sydney. They're using the Canberra games as a home ground, um, which is fantastic for Canberra. Uh, the ACT government are, are wrapped with it. It's worth uh, $26 million and it goes till 2022, um, four games a year. Uh, but if the Giants really wanted to build their fan base, uh, it does hurt that element of it. Um, the the ground has been upgraded for night. It will be upgraded and completed by January 2014. I think it's getting a new service, a new surface, and um, the seats are going to be revamped. Uh, but my personal feelings is as much as it is great to see Monica Oval being used. Um, they sort of painted themselves into a corner as they try to build an identity in Western Sydney without playing in Western Sydney. And uh, I think that's also in part because of the Royal Easter show. Um, some people may not be aware that the Giants' home ground, Skoda Stadium, is actually the uh, Sydney Showgrounds Stadium, and it's a co-shared um, occupancy. And during the Easter show, the uh, I was there in March this year, and I believe there were some drag cars going across the surface. Um, so they got they got to rip it up every year and relay the, the turf. Um, so Canberra's sort of a means to an end for that sort of thing, but it does worry me a little bit that for up to eight weeks, depending on when the Easter show is, that the Giants can't actually play in Sydney. I wonder if perhaps uh, that can be if that'll be alleviated in years to come with teams selling uh, home games to, um, to Monica. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, the the Swans and the Bulldogs played here for quite a number of years, and that was a fairly successful venture um, until the Giants came in and, and wanted to stake their own claim. Um, I believe one-third of Giants membership is actually from ACT residents. Mm. 
uh, which is actually quite huge if you if you think of 12,000 members, at least 4,000 are, are from ACT, which would also explain slightly lower numbers than you would hope at at SCODA. Um, but but yeah, it, it would be good if they can come to some arrangement, but it won't be any time soon to fix that problem, um, being that the contract goes through to uh, 2022. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've, got to, we've got to move on, but before... Can, can I just last... do one, one quick one? One quick one, Wookie. Yes, Israel mate. Israel, Israel uh, tearing yep. it up, Tearing it up for the Wallabies at the moment. I just want to see if GWS fans in general uh, wish him well. Um, and how do you view his ambassador role at GWS? Was it, a, was it a complete failure or did it actually do something for you? Look, people will say what they want about the ambassador role because a lot of people had construed feelings going into it and construed feelings coming out of it. Um, personally, I think that he was absolutely um, fantastic for the Giants. As much as anything, he brought an international sportsmanship work ethic to the Giants, which would be heavily influential on 18-year-olds just starting out. He's represented Australia in two codes. He's played all three codes of football except soccer, although, to be honest, we've got the World Cup. He's still got time. Um, he's... He, he's... Uh, his on-field contributions weren't great, um, but what he did do was he got people through the gates. Um, number four jerseys last year were the highest-selling jerseys for GWS, and um, no, Giant, Giants fans definitely wish him nothing but the best. His heart wasn't in it at the end, so uh, it, as with everything, if your heart's not in it, you might as well go on and find something you love. Yeah, okay. Thanks very much, Griff, uh, for, your, for your uh, wrap-up of where GWS is at this year. Um, now it's time to do the news. Good evening, this is the Big Footy Midweek News for Wednesday, July the 3rd. I am the Wookie. AFL Deputy Chief Executive Dylan McLaughlin has told media and fans to be patient as the Asada investigation into Asada continues. He told a press conference today that the end is in sight and it's in August. Meanwhile, Stephen Dank says that he is confident Essendon players will be cleared over the drug scandal. Well, I certainly can, but that'll all come out, you know, in the wash very, very shortly, I'm sure. The AFL will field an Indigenous side against Ireland at the end of this season instead of the usual All-Australian side. The Indigenous side will be coached by former Swans forward Michael O'Loughlin, assisted by Rodney Eid. Greater Western Sydney and the ACT government has released a report by Repucom that says the Giants' first three matches in Canberra have attracted 4,000 interstate visitors and contributed nearly $1 million to the ACT economy. Greater Western Sydney are currently in the first year of a 10-year, $23 million deal to play four matches a year in the capital. Brisbane coach Michael Voss is expected to be handed a two-year contract along with increased football department spending. Brisbane currently ranks in the bottom five clubs in that area and Brisbane power brokers believe that this has hamstrung Voss's performance as a coach. Port Adelaide's Chad Wingard has signed a contract extension keeping him at Alberton until the end of 2016. To injury news, an Adelaide defender, Brent Riley, will miss the rest of the season with a shoulder injury, while Patrick Dangerfield is expected to return this weekend for the Crows. Richmond Ruckman Ivan Marich will miss Saturday's game against North Melbourne with a groin strain. The Western Bulldogs have lost Matthew Boyd for the next month. For Hawthorne, Cyril Rioli is expected to play his first game since Round 5. 
at Collingwood, Dane Beams and Tyson Goldsake look set to return in the VFL. In the West, Matthew Pavlich will play his first game since Round 3, and Aaron Sanderlands will play his first match this season for the Dockers. Jeremy Cameron is expected to be available for, uh, for Greater Western Sydney to face the Bulldogs. Greater Western Sydney defender and former Port Adelaide Premiership player Chad Corns has retired due to an infection related to his knee surgery after playing 255 games for his two clubs and winning a Premiership at Port Adelaide. This has been the AFL News. We are Geelong, the greatest team of all. We are Geelong, we're always on the ball. We play the game as it should be played. of course was the Geelong theme song and we have uh, SJ here from the Geelong board to uh, discuss all things Geelong with us um, and hopefully it works better for us this time than it did the first time. <laughs> SJ, welcome aboard, welcome to the Big Thank Footy, you. Welcome to the Big Footy Podcast. Mate, how are you seeing Geelong travelling this year? Well I mean you can't complain at 12 and 2 um, both losses by a goal as well but uh, I would say that that so far this year our form has been pretty patchy. Um, we've had some great wins over Hawthorne in round one. Uh, went up to the SCG and beat Sydney um, in a great game and also beat Essendon when I think they were possibly close to the top of the ladder. But um, mo- most games I would say we've only played a quarter or two. And as much as that's a negative, I think it's also um, really, you know, has great scope for improvement for this team because... Um, there's still quite a lot of structural deficiencies, I'd say, leading to the second half of the year. Uh, a lot of questions to be answered about who's putting their hand up for spots. It's not your typical top two team where your best 25 or so players are set, you know, all in the peak of their careers. Really, it's a lot of players 29 plus and a lot of players under 23 or 24. So um, that means that there's quite a few players in the VFL running around who, who could still get a game and uh, quite a few to come back from injury as well. So it'd be an interesting ride and, and probably a bit of an unusual season by AFL standards. Okay, guys, questions? Go nuts. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree that um, Geelong aren't playing fabulously well. Um, they, they're doing it on the bit in most of their games. Um, seem quite... Um, seem a little bit blasé, if you like, uh, at times, but they, but you know, you're still winning most of those games. So you, when when you've got a real serious rival, uh, you know, you're stepping it up enough to um, to, to get the points. And uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I love uh, I love the Carlton to be doing that, and that's not happening. Um, I Geelong have let teams get out to a bit of a lead on them, and they sort of just—it's it, mm. almost as though they've got to wait for that spur, mm. and then suddenly, you know, sw- flick on a switch. Which is why the Lions game was such a weird one, because, you know, uh, I don't know it's happened in the past, but th- this particular Geelong side, you don't see them getting run down from being so far in front um, too much, and it's almost as though they're the ones that usually are coming back at teams and, and playing, playing it out when the game's on the line and, and getting themselves over the line. Uh, they just in that Lions game, it was a massive shock because uh, they just didn't seem to know how to how to handle something like that. Yeah, that's right. Now, actually, I made the trip up for that one, so that was a magnificent interstate choice this year to 
to Ooh. attend. Uh, so I saw this one firsthand, but that game, it was very interesting because with 25 or, or 30 minutes left at the Gabba, I, I was still expecting to walk out with a 12-goal win. And then uh, half an hour later, you walk out as a loser, and that's a very interesting experience. But I think, um, although you're right, it hasn't really followed the script of the Geelong matches this year, and indeed in the last couple of years when we've sort of got four or five goals down on many occasions. Um, it's a similar sort of... I'd put it down to the same sort of reasons where, um, it, you know, without that, that extra bit to play for, these players who have either played in three premierships and done the lot um, and maybe a little bit blasé about your genuine home and away game or the, the other group of players we have are these players, 21 and under, who have barely ever played in the loss. So they might be taking it a little bit easy as well. And I just felt that um, towards the end of that third quarter and early in the fourth, when it looked like the game was over, um, there was no crowd involvement at all. Brisbane kicked a couple. Um, and before Geelong could stamp it, it out, Brisbane actually gained a, a, a lot of momentum. And we all, we've all seen footy games where momentum swings wildly. And we, we know what that, um, that sort of that feature is. And you can't quantify it, but it, there is something there where... When a team is on and you've let them get away, it's almost, you can't catch them. It, if they're out of the blocks, they're away, and it's very difficult to slow that down. And I think Geelong probably gave away three or four goals to let that margin get back to a sort of a five-goal lead with still 20, 25 minutes left. And then a couple of um, sort of centre clearances set up by Lewenberger, who played all over our, our ruck division, and that's another a question mark going forward for the rest of the year. Lewenberger to Maloney and Zorkon, these sort of players just within a five-minute burst, it was it was back to three, two or three goals, and um, I'm not sure what it was. We were coming off the bye that week, but Brisbane completely overran us, and to be honest, with with ten minutes left and we were still up by three or so goals, it it looked like it was Brisbane's games to lose. That's that's how hard they were coming, and every contest was just uh, dominated by Lions players. It was it was a very interesting thing to see live. Yeah, yeah. Um, your injury list. Um, uh, I'm not sure how it's shaping up right now, but it's just having a look at who's played this year. You've had he's had some very good players in his large chunks of the season. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Rivers has um, missed ten games. Um, uh, Chapman nine. Josh Hunt's missed seven games. Johnson's missed four. Kelly's missed five. Uh, Varco's missed. Well, what's he? He's, he's only played three games this year yeah, too. Yeah, he's missed most of the year. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously um, the likes of uh, Daniel Menzel. We, I mean, we, it's fairly well documented, and maybe we should you know, talk about that a bit more. But um, you know, you're not expecting um, no, some players back for a, for a fair while. But yeah. um, um, is there anybody due to come back in the side? Yeah, th- there is. So it's actually, it's one of those things where. You know, a lot of players are scheduled to come back at the same time, but it never really works out as easy as that. So we've had quite a lot come back over the last four or six weeks, and um, you know they may be minor things that pop up for two or three weeks, or they may be more serious, more serious injuries that are kept out for half a year. So Taylor Hunt's come back into the team in recent weeks. Um, he had a, a broken collarbone, I think, from the Essendon match. Um, we've had Josh Caddy come back from injury last week through the VFL. Um, we've had Dawson Simpson come back from, from back surgery, so he missed the full preseason, played the last two weeks as a, as a first ruck. We haven't had a first ruck play all year. Um, 
we've had Kelly miss games, I think some due to suspension. Johnson's missed games with injury, suspension. Um, Varco, Varco, I think, may be playing VFL this week. And same with Rivers. So as much as they're fit, you know, whether they actually get back to AFL uh, fitness within the next couple of weeks will be an interesting one. Hamish McIntosh is another one who has yet to actually play a single minute for Geelong at any form, at any level, pre-season, reserves, but you yeah. name it, yeah. uh, at all. So that's an interesting one, which is still on the back burner. Um, but yeah, I would say generally the injury list is, is on the way up, which is yeah. great. Um, and it'd be good because a lot of those players, um, sort of like your, your Travis Barco and Taylor Hunton, uh, they are actually in that bracket of 23, 24-year-olds. And they're the ones you need because they're the ones who are sort of getting towards their, their peak fitness and peak uh, physicality. And those running players who are, who are older than 20, 21 years old, they're the ones we've been missing in, in large proportions of the matches. So yeah, it'd be great to have that particular class of player back into the team. Okay. So, so sorry. Go no, no, go ahead. You're good. I was just going to ask about. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I haven't been. Mark Blickards. Blickards. Blitzer. Okay. See, I have no chance. Where did he come from? Tell us. Tell us a little bit about him. Twelve games. He's only. He's only missed one game this year. And I had until I saw him on the field. I knew. Didn't even know he existed. Yeah, he he's really taken. I'd say every Geelong supporter. Um, Definitely everyone on the Geelong board, a big footy by, by surprise. He's uh, three months ago or four months ago at the start of the season, he was, was our fifth string ruckman. So he was a, he's actually not on the foot, the rookie list. He's one of those sort of extra sport rook, rookies you get sort of outside the list. Um, and he would, would have been behind McIntosh, Simpson, West and Vardy as the fifth stringer. And then come round one, we actually, uh, he was the only ruckman we had fit. And uh, this is a bloke who was a steeple chaser until 18 months ago and was uh, running right up until qualification for London last year. Um, I think he's the son of two ex-Australian basketballers, so the breeding's pretty strong. Um, but obviously he's got a ridiculous tank to run in the 3K steeplechase. And um, he played four games in the VFL for us last year after the, the, the London bid sort of just fell through and uh, put in a big pre-season. And just looking at his photos from being a runner and an athlete to being a footballer, he's put on a lot of muscle in that time. And obviously, as a, as a high-level uh, track athlete, he's, got a, he's a pretty professional sort of um, sportsman. And so you can see that sort of paying off. But he, he has improved mightily in, in less than a year. Um, this is a guy that hadn't played footy at all since he was 14 um, until last year. So... Um, he's now he's now sort of racking up games where he's, he's taking t- 20 possessions a game and 10 hitouts and this sort of thing. I actually see him going forward probably not as a ruckman, maybe as a centre-half back or a, or, or a tall wingman or something, but he probably doesn't quite have the, the height to be um, a full-blown ruck, but actually maybe he'll be more valuable somewhere else. But, um, yeah, pleasantly surprised, and he's definitely played more than a, a stop-gut role that we needed in the first half of the season. Is he a Stephen Wells special, or is uh, the... <laughs> I actually think that some I read somewhere that Cam Guthrie's father, who I think played for Essendon, um, with a different surname, I think it might be Merriweather, a few games for Essendon. Apparently, he knew of him 
and they got him down to the club and he was drafted that way. So I think it actually came through Cam Guthrie uh, originally. So um, definitely wasn't sort of scouted on the football field. It was probably on the running track. Uh, uh, just, just quickly on Luke Williams uh, going to Carlton next year. Is that a big loss from the recruiting uh, team? One? Hey, uh, you're one of your assistant recruiters. To, oh, to one yeah. Of, uh, yeah, the, yeah the, under Stephen Wells. Um, yep. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't have a, have a great idea of what his particular role would be, but anything that Stephen Wells, um, you know, anyone that has come up from under his tutelage, you'd say has learnt from someone who knows what he's doing. Yep. Um, he's generally had very few top 10 picks and seems to thrive in that sort of late teen to late 30s pick range. We, the amount of good players we take at that range seems to be really strong. So, yeah, for Carlton going forward, if if, um, if you can have similar results, it would be very beneficial. Yeah. Right. Um, Hawthorne have got Geelong this week, I think. That's right. Um, how's, how's that rivalry coming along? Well, we don't... <laughs> like, as Carlton people, we, we tend to mock it a little bit for being new and, you know, coming, you know, starting yesterday and that sort of thing compared to what we have, say, with Collingwood. Um, how, how do you see that rivalry on the general AFL landscape? Yeah, well, uh, I think both sets of fans struggle to, uh, to cope with the presence of, of each other, um, particularly in, in this sort of week leading up to the big game. Um, it's an interesting one because Geelong, neither fan is satisfied. As I've seen the last 10 wins and eight of them have been by under 10 points. And yet, there's still that 2008 that you'll never forget and sitting in the background. And then there's Hawthorne who, um, you know, they pinched this early one and they were sort of talked up as, well, they got an early one, now they can go to go on a great dynasty. And they've done nothing else since either. And a lot of those wins, although not, or a lot of those losses to Geelong, although not directly um, leading to a grand final defeat, have knocked them out of top four or have you know, sunk their finals chances or have just um, hurt them mentally, I think. And, um, yeah, it's just a difficult one because there's even been talk on the Geelong board this week about, you know, would you rather drop this one because we might be meeting again in the mm. finals and do you want to go in with an 11-game winning streak or do you not want to? It's a, it's an interesting one, but... Um, yeah, it's, I would say uh, I would say it's the biggest rivalry for either club, and um, let's just hope it's another great game um, and we keep it going as long as possible because it's good for footy. I think of all modern rivalries, like whether they've been artificially created by you know public holiday things like the Queen's birthday or Anzac Day, you know, of all the modern rivalries that current you know that sprang up in the last thirty years or so, that the Hawthorne Geelong one really is. It's the rivalry of, of of them. Like you've got your Carlton Collingwoods, and you can safely say at the moment that Geelong and Hawthorne is getting to be right up there with it in terms of just the sheer intensity and the expectation and the closeness of contest and just and there's genuine feeling behind it. That's right. I think I think what makes it is the emotion of the supporters. Yeah. Because it, you know when there's seventy thousand at the G. Um, it's, I actually spoke to a, a Hawthorne supporter over the summer and I sort of said, oh, how did you feel about the grand final loss? And he said he was hurting more from losing to Geelong after the siren when Hawkins gold than he was for losing the grand final. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing. But that's, that is the sort of feeling that is behind these games. It's the same feeling that like Carlton people had in 1999 when we beat Essendon by, two, uh, by a point 
and then we lost the grand final and everyone knew we were going to lose the grand final everyone left the ground that day you know and we played the grand that was our grand final and it was worth it just to beat Essendon who gives a crap about the next week (laughs) and ODN will tell you the same thing we got rolled in 99 in the grand final but we all knew it was coming and it was just to get that win over Essendon was more important to us than than the result of the grand final and I think that's 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 what happened there as well Griff you've been pretty quiet mate what's um you dead you with us no I'm here I'm just uh I was taking a look at the uh, stats for some of the uh, Cats players, and I was just thinking, Mackie this year has been absolutely outstanding for you guys. Who who do you now rate as your number one defender? Uh, this year, Taylor has been our best defender. Um, I think he's probably one of the few players, established players, that have improved this year. Um, I'd say, you know, your Haw- we don't have many established players, but Hawkins... Uh, Selwood, Bartell, Corey, Kelly, these sort of players, Steve Johnson, Chapman hasn't played. They've actually, none of them have improved. And yet we've gone from, I think this time last year we were 8 and 5, and now we're 12 and 2. So, but Taylor is one who has improved, and um, his, I'm not sure what it is, but his reading of the play, and particularly in the second halves, his ability to stop his own man, but also set up um, attack from defence has been really good. And against Fremantle, it was at his absolute best. He must have taken close to 10 marks from opposition kicks. Um, yeah, yeah so I've got here ten, yeah, 10 marks, 18 kicks, 10 handballs, two tackles. Yeah. So I'd say he's number one. I'd say Lonergan is our other tall, who's um, probably just tailed off a bit this year. He's been really, really serviceable for three or four years. Um, just been beaten a little bit. Uh, that may be because Scarlett's gone. I'm not sure. Um, Rivers can't really get a game at the moment. He's been injured most of the year as that third defender, that third tall. And then Mackie's almost switching between the wing and, and a half back. And I would say since 2011, he's been a very good player for July. I used to think he was quite overrated, but he's just added a little bit of hardness to his game and um, bowls up for a goal from 50, goes back with the flight now if he has to. Really, he's he's sort of t- turned into the player that a three-time premiership player should be and that's not knocking him from before then, but um, I think in this last couple of years, as some of the senior players have, have drifted away and retired, he's really stepped up to that to take that mantle. All right. Yep. Any final yeah. comments, questions? Just was wondering if Harry Taylor's close to close to resigning. Yeah, this has been a, a, a big topic uh, amongst the Cats fans. I think we've got about a I don't know pages and pages and pages of thread on this, but. Um, there's been some speculation, I think, before the GWS game, Brian Cook may have announced, or Neil Barr may have announced, that he was he was all but signed. And then I heard some more talk again before the Fremantle game last week. So I don't think he's actually put pen to paper, but the word from the club is that he's going to do so. And so you wouldn't think they'd say that unless that was going to happen. Um, that would be a bit of a PR disaster. So hopefully it happens. Um, of course, he's a WA boy, but we'd like to keep him here, particularly uh, with probably a lack of tall defenders coming through. It'd be good to keep him for a few more years. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much for that, SJ. That was a, a very uh, reasoned discussion on the whereabouts of Geelong this year. All right, so time to move into the final segment that we have here, and that is uh, what are we looking forward to in round 15? 
and ODN, I'll give you the chance to uh, talk. <laughs> uh, look, obviously, uh, Carlton Collingwood on Friday night. Hopefully, that sets that sets up my weekend uh, well enough that I can sit back and watch uh, Geelong beat Hawthorne yet again. I, I enjoy it immensely when that happens. Yeah, and uh, uh, Griff, what are you looking forward to on the weekend, mate? Uh, well, I'll be heading down to Monica and watching the uh, the boys take on the Western Bulldogs. Um, but the big game that I'm really actually keen for will be Essendon Port Adelaide because I think I think this will be the game that really shows us shows us where these teams are sitting. Um, there seems to be some false hope on on both sides at times. So I think that late Sunday twilight game will very heavily shape the finals. Yeah, and uh, what? Well, obviously you'll be looking forward to Geelong Hawthorne. Uh, yeah, not sure I'm looking forward to the right fat, uh, phrase. It's more sort of uh, you know trying to do everything to not think about it. it really gets me nervous. But uh, I just think it's interesting that this is actually the first time in this run of matches that they've been one and two when they played each other. Yeah. So it's I mean it's a huge game, mm-hmm. and also it's the first time I believe that Paul Chapman won't be taking part. So. Yeah. Uh, I think Hawthorne probably go in deservedly as favourites, but let's just see what the Cats can do. A few big games this week. Uh, Carlton Collingwood on Friday night. Uh, Geelong Hawthorne on Saturday night. And at the uh, Saturday evening, uh, the Q Clash. Brisbane and Gold Coast at the Gabba. Uh, and that's about it. Oh, I think <laughs> North and Richmond is an interesting game too. It is. North have been yeah. very competitive this season and Richmond are on a bit of a roll. That could go either way, really. That's right, and also probably the last chance for Adelaide West Coast on Saturday night. You'd That's... think losers cooked and the winner maybe hangs in there. Well, yeah, you'd think so. Uh, and for Carlton Collingwood as well, Carlton lose and you can almost write them off for the finals. The gap just starts to get wider and wider unless Port lose uh, to Essendon. So it's, uh, it's all very interesting. It makes for an intriguing weekend's worth of matches. Can Melbourne generate some winning form against Sydney. I don't know. No. <laughs> can, can they win two in a row? Well, they beat the Bulldogs. It's all... Yeah, they the really... The drought well, is over. Well, I, well I did... Boydow will help. <laughs> Alright, just a final note. Uh, the AFL is going to trial Hawkeye, they've announced. Um, the same system, well, a similar system to what uh, tennis and uh, cricket use. Apparently it will be slightly different um, in that... Uh, it is only designed to allow the video umpire greater control over the vision. Uh, so whether everyone can see it or not, I don't really know. But uh, the AFL seems to believe that it is up to um, up to the uh, the umpire, the, the video umpire, to decide. So development's moving a pace there. Um, I'd love to see it track a 50-meter bomb from the uh, a floater from Hurley. Uh, <laughs> that'll be an interesting Hawkeye tracking line, I think. Uh, Stephen Kernahan's uh, old helicopters would have been interesting as well. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, and the boundary umpires will apparently no longer be part of the consultation process. Um, so you'll no longer have boundary umpires overruling goal umpires. <laughs> Alright, guys, may your best yeah. team win. Good luck on the weekend for uh, all of you. Uh, well, good luck on the weekend for uh, you and your teams. I'll say good night to ODN. Good night, everybody. Good night, SJ. Thank you for coming in. Yeah, good night. Thanks for having me. And good night, uh, Griff. Thanks for coming on. Too easy. Take it easy, Wookie. And also good night to everybody, and we'll see you all on the forums. Mm-hmm.